So, I have this problem. I always forget to remind you all to <laughs> pass the pew pads during my announcements. So Jen Morris said, you won't forget this week. <laughs> Left me aside. But I remembered. Let's pray. Scatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing, obey. Amen. So we're getting perilously close to spring. I was relieved at the weather this morning because I titled this sermon 10 days ago, and it could have been blizzarding out. But we are getting perilously close to spring, and so I'm wondering if anyone has a bit of storage space that I can borrow, just a little bit of storage space, maybe a closet, enough for my baseball cards that I collected when I was in the sixth grade, um, maybe a couple of books I haven't had a chance to read, or my Nintendo gaming system, because none of my stuff is safe, because we're getting perilously close to spring, and springtime means spring cleaning, and spring cleaning means yard sales, and my wife is addicted to selling strangers my stuff on our front lawn. <laughs> so I need your help. Just a little bit of storage space. I don't know if I told you this before, once she sold my Seinfeld DVDs, all nine seasons, she sold them on the front lawn. And I asked her about it, I said, why did you sell my Seinfeld DVDs? And she said, they were still in the plastic wrap. They were taking up space. I was trying to help. And I said, I don't think I like your kind of help. <laughs> I love you, honey. Do you ever notice how finicky we are about the way that we're helped? We're quite finicky about the way. If you go to the doctor and the doctor tells you, I can help you get your blood pressure to be where you want it to be. I can help your anxiety, but it might mean a change in your diet or exercise. Okay, what else you got? <laughs> your financial advisor says, I can get your retirement accounts to where you want them to be. We can get your, your portfolio in order. All you have to do is lay off the takeout and the QVC. Okay, let's be realistic. Your minister, yes, your minister says to you, I can help you with your deep-seated fears, with your sense of purposelessness, but you might have to join a small group sign-ups today. <laughs> and you say, yeah, I'm more looking for an inspirational Bible verse. <laughs> we are finicky about the way that we're helped. My wife, the avid yard sailor, knows all about this. 
because she's a nurse and nurses, come on. Nurses wake us up every other hour when we're in the hospital. They frown at us when we're getting our blood pressure taken. They keep missing when they're poking us. Nurses, they're helpers just trying to help. But we're not sure that we like their kind of help. Balaam certainly wasn't a big fan of the kind of help that he gets today, was he? When today's story takes place, I want to give you some background what's going on. Because we're jumping in mid-story. When it takes place, Balaam is known as a seer, which means he has a gut for knowing what's going to happen next. In fact, we have archaeological evidence that Balaam was a local legend because he predicted a drought that was going to come to the community. Kind of like Joseph. You remember that story? So Balaam was like that. And so it makes sense that when Balak, not Balaam, Balak, who's the king of the Moabites, begins to get nervous about these immigrating Israelites and the trouble that they might bring to his kingdom, it makes sense that he reaches out to the one guy he knows that seems to have some mystical pull, Balaam. And so Balak sends this regiment of dealmakers off to see Balaam. And they're meant to entice him into cursing the Israelites. Yes, cursing the Israelites. And when they get there, Balaam says, I need a night to sleep on this. And while everyone else is sleeping, the Lord comes to Balaam and he says, no. You're not going to do this. And Balaam, to his credit, listens. And when he wakes up, he tells Balak's men, I'm out. And Balak's men go off to tell him that Balaam has refused. Now, Balak is not one to be disappointed and rejected so easily. And so he sends another regiment to come and visit Balaam. Isn't this story amazing? Only this group is more prestigious, and they bring lots more money. And so Balaam takes a look at this deal, and he smirks, and he says, let me sleep on it one more time. This time, go figure, in the middle of the night, the Lord says to Balaam, go ahead and go, but you're going to say what I tell you to say. And so the next morning, Balaam wakes up and he tells the men, I'm in. And he saddles up the donkey and he rides off with the Moabites to visit the Israelites. And that's where we pick up the story today, where he saddled up his donkey, this donkey. And it doesn't take long become, before it becomes very clear that God doubts Balaam's veracity. At least it's clear to us what with the sword and the angel of death standing in his way. It's also apparently clear to Balaam's donkey, because when Balaam's donkey sees the sword-wielding angel of the Lord standing in his way, he veers off into a field, 
drawing a beating from Balaam, which is enough to get the donkey moving again, but not enough to teach him a lesson because when he sees the angel of the Lord again, this time standing in an alleyway, the donkey pushes up against a wall to try to get around him and crushes Balaam's foot in the process, which leads to another beating. Finally, when the angel of the Lord stands in the narrowest of places and the donkey has no way to get by, it just takes a seat on the ground. And guess what? It takes another beating. And then, in one of the strangest moments you're ever going to find in the pages of the Bible, the donkey turns around and says, and says, Am I not your donkey? Haven't I always been your donkey? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? And do you know what Balaam says? Not, whoa! <laughs> he says, actually, no, I guess you haven't been in the habit of doing this to me. He's having a reasonable conversation <laughs> with the donkey. Says no. But do you know what Balaam should have said? He should have said thank you. He should have said thank you because his eyes are then opened. And he sees how the donkey was helping him all along and he was saving his life and he didn't even know it. The donkey had, like the donkey always had, the donkey had shown up for him. And so that is what I hope we can learn from this text today. Is what to say when the people in your life keep showing up for you. Thank you. Because it's those people that show up time after time that we tend to take for granted. The Balaam's donkeys of our lives. Thank you. What do I mean when I say that? I mean parents, and trust me, I'm preaching to myself right now. I mean parents and grandparents who have become used to this feeling that their kids don't want them around or want their input, and they keep showing up. You know, I sit with families at the time of death, and this is what gets remembered, that all throughout my life they showed up. They coached my baseball team. They sat around and watched my practice. They helped out with my Sunday school class or my youth group. That's what they remembered. So thank you for showing up and keep showing up. Who else do I, I mean church people. The church does this all the time. We care so much about what's new and what's next that we forget about the people that just keep showing up. And you need to be thanked for the work that you do in your committees and the, the, the work that you do in organizing programs and seating people in the pews, you need to be thanked. You need to be thanked for sitting in your pew. And most of you sit in the same place, and I'm the kind of pastor that loves that. <laughs> because I know where to find you. 
and I'm reminded of the way you keep showing up. And I'm grateful. Who else do I mean? I mean the people that go to work every day. We're all tending to someone or something. Whether your job is a high-paying job or you don't get paid at all. All of us on a daily basis are tending to someone or something. And I don't know many of you besides me that get to stand at a door at the end of the day and be told how wonderful you are. I don't know many of you besides me that get that opportunity. No, thank you. Whether you're plugging away in a boardroom or a meeting room or a hospital room, thank you. Especially a hospital room. Especially if you're a nurse. I'll come back to the nurses. Thank you for showing up. Because I remember this one nurse. Not the nurse that told all my Seinfeld DVDs. But a different pediatric nurse. I was uh, sitting next to a, 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 a little girl at an oncology unit and um, I, was, I was praying with her and her mom and this, I, I'd noticed this nurse before, this one that came in. We'd seen each other many times actually and exchanged pleasantries, but on this day, uh, little Rachel, she was nine years old and she was coming to the end of her life. and. You know, by then, the treatment and the cancer had taken away almost any semblance of the appearance that she had before she was diagnosed. And her mom, I mean, she's just groaning, this child. Her mom's distraught. Her pastor, totally helpless. And this nurse, I'll never forget the way she just strode right into the room. And she went straight to her port to give her her medicine. And when she did, Rachel started beating on her, just hitting her. And her mother just patted her on the head and said, Rachel, she's trying to help you. And, and the child just kept beating on this nurse as if to say, I don't like this kind of help. And the nurse finished giving the medicine, and then she patted her on the head. And then she left. Now, Rachel died that day, that day. And so I never saw that nurse again, and I never had a chance to th say thank you, but thank you. People like her that keep showing up, that keep showing up because they're saving our lives and they don't even know it. Shut up. I don't know what's going on. There we go. That's going to make my life a lot better. I want, I, want to, I want to just say thank you. Because you're saving our lives and you don't even know it. You're saving us by being in the hospital room, in the boardroom, in the workplace, in our church house, in our family life. And sometimes we're not even acknowledging it. And now is the time for us to acknowledge it. Do you want to know why? Now is the time... For us to acknowledge it because, as I said, we're getting perilously close to spring. Perilously close to that time of year when we have yard sales and lawn work and we watch the final four and opening day and we have sun and we have the birds, but we're getting perilously close to spring, also the time of year 
when we remember in detail the story of the one that kept on saving us even when we didn't know it. We didn't know it then when we were shouting crucify, and many of us don't know it now. I get this question all the time. How do I know that I'm saved? Maybe some of you wonder even today in this church house, am I saved? How do I know? Well, do you want to know what I think? I think that God's power to save us will eventually work out by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. But I also think that there's a better question to be asked, and that's this. Not am I saved, but how will I live like I love the one who has saved me? That's the question for us today. How will we live like the one, like we love the one that has saved us? Will we live like Balaam, taking for granted the gracious giver, or will ours be a posture of gratitude for another one that rode the donkey through waving palms? The one who also, like Balaam's donkey, turned to ask us, haven't I always been yours? Amen. Thank you.